Hey, Colossians 1, hopefully you guys are there. Let me kind of explain um, what we're doing. Our hope is to teach through different books of the Bible, but it's not just to give you like a Bible study per se. It's, it's that, and I think hopefully more. Um, I really, my prayers as we walk through Colossians, I think the goal and the intent of, of Paul who wrote to this church that was getting sidetracked or pulled into other things, he was saying the most important thing is Jesus being preeminent. There's going to be a lot of distractions in life. There's going to be a lot of worldviews that kind of plague the church or seep into the church. And the hope of Colossians was saying, don't lose sight of Jesus. It's Jesus above all, through all, in all. His hope and his focus is that Jesus would be elevated, would be preeminent. Um, I cannot think of a better book, in a sense, for us in this season. Just saying, man, we're about to hit 2024. There's going to be a lot of madness, chaos. How do we keep Jesus at the center? How does Jesus be preeminent? How does my worldview on fill in the blank be really focused on and through the person of Jesus? So um, here's my hope. My hope is that this, again, would not just be time we gather, we teach the book. You go, okay, I learned something new. It has to be more than that. I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take this book, take the, the teachings uh, that we walk through, and that he would produce fruit. And as Paul writes here, we're going to see, he says, joint and knit together in love. And, and that is the outcome. That's the hope. That's the goal. So let me explain again briefly with the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, it's probably the, the highest view offered of Jesus in a New Testament letter. He's basically saying Jesus is preeminent. He's over it all. All things are made by him and through him and for him. By Jesus, all things are held together. He's the firstborn. Remember, he's the priority over creation, over death. He is over it all. So it's actually believed that this was an early church hymn, Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20, that the church would gather together and it actually like quote this or sing this hymn. It's also believed that it was either a hymn or a creed or kind of like a both. By creed, it's like, this is our statement of faith. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is who he is. So if you missed a couple weeks ago, go back. It's just a high view, obviously, of Jesus. And then he says this. So I want you to follow the track. He goes, Jesus, above all. And then verse 20, he says, and you, and you, and he shifts gears a little bit. You, who are once alienated from God, far from God, dead in your sin, he has resurrected. He has brought you together. He has redeemed you. He bought you at a price. He's basically saying, look what Jesus has done in you. But the, the point is this. It's not just to say, um, Jesus died just to save us. Like, yes, absolutely. He died to save us, but not just so we stay there. He actually died to save us, to reconcile us to God. And now he puts us on this mission to continue, this, to continue the same thing. It's like copy and paste. Like you are also now ministers of the word of God. He did not just die on the cross and rise again so that you wouldn't go to hell one day. That's yes, but it's, more, it's so much more than that. And so that now you can be a participator of the kingdom of heaven. So that now you can be a part of this. That there is a world that needs Jesus. And he's saying, you've benefited, you've experienced this. Now go out and continue this work. So here's why I'm bringing this up. It starts with Jesus, you, and then like your calling. So today, what we're going to look at in the title today is simply ministry mindset, ministry mindset. Paul says this a couple of different times in our text, the phrase, he goes, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So um, here's the idea. Paul's like, I'm a minister. God saved me, not just so I wouldn't go to hell, but so I could be a participator in the kingdom of God. The hope of today 
that I, I hope is clear and comes across is um, I hope it's not just one day or back in the day years ago, you put your faith in Jesus, but you're actually on this you know, trajectory of growing, of maturing in your faith. Paul's like, the goal is not just to be saved, it's also to mature and grow in your faith. And I'm a minister, and you are part of that as well. So whether or not you know this, um, you are part of the ministry. Like, this is not the exchange, I'm a part of ministry. You are part, if Jesus Christ has, if you believe he died for your sins, rose again, you are now part of the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciling the world to God. So my hope is that everyone here sees himself as a minister. Like, you are part of this. Cool? So we're going to do this. We're going to read Colossians 1, verse 24. We're going to bleed in chapter 2, verse 3. Remember, there's no such thing as chapters and verses, and we just kind of added that later. So we're going to look at uh, Colossians 1, verse 24. Let's just read the text, and then we'll pray and dive into it. Cool? Colossians 1, 24. Let's do it, guys. Verse 24, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. We'll talk about that. Of which I became a minister. Everyone say minister. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Listen to this, verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That's you. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, his energy, (laughs) that he uh, powerfully works within me. Verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. Verse four. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Um, We're going to be looking at verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to be looking at that in depth today. Um, But before we do that, I just want to kind of just invite the Lord to speak. It's very easy for us to kind of go through the motions. It's very easy for us to read a text, pray, and just kind of like, okay, what do you have for me? Um, I'm just going to ask that you'd pray and say, hey, Lord, the mystery the mystery you talk about, the mystery that's in Christ, would you make that known to me? This mystery that is found in Jesus, what does that even, would you make this known to me? So why don't you just take a second, bow your head, close your eyes. He talks about the riches, the fullness that is in Jesus. Um, Just say, Lord, would you speak to me? I want to discover what it is you have for me that's in Jesus. Take a second, you can pray, then I'll pray. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you have not left us alone to ourselves alone to our own thoughts, alone to just what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Lord, we just thank you that you've given us a revelation of your son, Jesus, that um, everything for life is found in your son, all the riches of the wisdom that you have to offer are found in your son. 
And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us, that you would guide our, our time today, that what Paul is saying is timeless, that he is a minister to minister forth and, and share forth these mysteries, that it would lead to maturity. And Jesus, I ask that that would just be accomplished today in us. And so we just thank you, we need you, and we ask that you would speak powerfully in your name. Amen. You know, when you hear the word ministry, what, what, what do you think of? Like, what comes to your mind when you think of someone's ministry or they're in the ministry? I think I had a lot of different ideas of like, oh, that person's in ministry. And maybe we kind of have certain ideas attached to that. It is kind of funny to me because today there's a ministry for everything. You just have a phrase and then say ministry. Like, oh, I have a balloon animal making ministry. I've met people. I'm like, oh, tell me more about your ministry. Um, you hear that a lot, though. Like, oh, I have a part of a, like a pool party ministry. Like, what is that ministry? I don't, it's, just, it's funny how it almost into, and I don't want to downplay it, but at the same time, like, I struggle with that. When people are like, fill in the blank ministry. You know, I have a dodgeball ministry. I'm like, tell me more about your dodgeball ministry. And these are things I come across, and maybe you have too. And in some ways, I go, I, I get what they're saying. They're saying, I'm trying to use this thing that I'm passionate about for the sake of ministry. That is beautiful, and I don't want to downplay it. But, but what is the ministry? Like, is that what Paul had in mind? Like, now go forth and be dodgeball ministers. You know, like, maybe, maybe not. But I want to explore that idea of the, of the ministry. Because I think for me, for, like, from a young age, you hear that, and it sounds very daunting. Like, oh, he or she, they're a minister. That's their ministry. And it, maybe I had a perception at a young age, you know, when I was younger, and that our pastor's on stage, and I love him. Like, as you kind of grow into an adult, I'm like, oh, I, I see it differently. But as a kid, my pastor was just a very old guy who death gripped the pulpit. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's the ministry. I don't know. Just intim it's intimidating. And I didn't know, like, what, is, what does it mean to be a part of this ministry? I think one of the coolest thoughts, too, also, because I saw that, and I remember in fourth grade, I remember seeing our pastor, his name is Pastor Chuck, I remember seeing it on a jackhammer, like, just tearing up concrete to install, like, a little, like, eating area. I thought that was so cool. I'm like, yo, my pastor's on a jackhammer. One day, hopefully, you'll see me on a jackhammer. Probably not, but I hope that happens. Um, but when you think about that, just the idea of, like, ministry or a minister, again, I do want you to think about what, what does Paul have in mind? Because the, the topic of just ministry mindset, Paul's like, God has called me to be a minister, I would like it, I think it'd, it'd make a lot of sense if everyone in this room saw themselves as a minister. Now again, you might have an image, maybe it's correct or incorrect of what that means. I remember I was working at a restaurant in Southern California, it's called Ruby's Diner, and I'm in my little outfit and everyone, like, you know, I'm 16, everyone knows like I'm the Christian, I went to a Christian school, and I remember like this, um, he must have been like Eastern Orthodox come in, almost has like a Pope hat, and everyone's like, yo, that's your people, and I'm like, that's not my people, I don't know. But that's what they think of. They think of minister in this, you know, kind of clerical garment with their hat. And I'm like, oh, gosh. What, so what is it? Like, what is a minister or the ministry? Because if you think about this, and I, I do want to simplify this in many ways, and I'll hopefully also learn from this, but in Ephesians 4, 4 we, Paul made it really clear. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You guys have to know that my job primarily is to equip the saints, that's you guys, you followers of Jesus, for the work of the ministry. If someone says, oh, well, I, I so appreciate your ministry. Like, I know what people say or mean, but it's like, I appreciate yours. You too are part of, you're part of the ministry. I would, I would even argue even more so. I'm not saying that I'm not, but I feel like I'm called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Obviously, I participate in that, but I'm called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You have a ministry. 
Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, and I just want to connect the dots, that as he says, as if God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is describing the ministry of the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to God. The ministry that you have, you have, you are a minister to reconcile the world to God. To say at one point in time, we enjoyed God in the cool of the day. We had deep and meaningful relationship with God. But because of the fall, because of our great-great-grandparents, that unique connection is gone. But through Jesus, he offers that deep relationship, that deep intimacy. And we want the world to encounter God through the person of Jesus. We want to reconcile the world to God. So my hope is this. Whatever vocation it is you have, whatever it is you do for a living, beautiful, that's awesome. But you're also a minister sent forth to reconcile the world to God. So when I talk about, again, the ministry, this ministry, or a minister, if you would, just imagine yourself. That's you. It's not me. It's you. You are a minister to reconcile the world to God. So Paul says this phrase, uh, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's preaching to the saints of this, of the mysteries of maturity, of everything a minister should accomplish in people. And Paul says this to Timothy, and I want to just, this phrase just kind of like sits with me for a little bit, but Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, he said the word simply, fulfill your ministry. If there's anything today, I'll just say, hey, fulfill your ministry. God has given you the, a ministry. God has given you a vocation, a job, do that unto the Lord. But in that, he's given you a ministry to be an ambassador for Jesus wherever you go, to reconcile the world to God. So fulfill, listen, church, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. So in our text, Paul's saying this, here's Jesus, here's you in light of Jesus. You were once dead in your sin, alienated far from God, but God has brought you in. And now he says, not, he didn't just bring you in to bring you in. He brought you in so that you could go forth and be a minister, so that you can go forth and reconcile the world to God. So if you see, it starts big picture, Jesus. Now you, what God has done in you, and now what he's called you to fulfill your ministry. So uh, here's the three points today as we walk through a text. I do want to like unpack the text. The text is powerful. It's weighty. I hope it can make sense, but here's how we're going to look at this. We're going to see ministry and joy, mystery and Jesus, and then maturity and Jesus. This idea of this ministry mindset, he's just saying, okay, here's my mindset on ministry, but the goal was to reveal the mystery the mystery that has been talked about from the ages, from generations ago. And the, the goal is not just to know things, but to grow in maturity. He's like, I want there to be, you to mature, to be joint and knit together in love, understanding all that's in Jesus. So you guys with me? It's a little M word. All right, got our M words going. Ministry, mystery, maturity. All right, let's look at verse 24. Can we do that? Verse 24, here's what Paul says. Verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Let's just stop there. <laughs> Paul's like, hey, I rejoice that I'm suffering for your benefit. This is different. Paul's different. Remember, Paul's writing this from where? From jail. Paul's in jail, writing the book of Colossians, and he says, I rejoice that I can suffer for your sake. He's like, there's a blessing in suffering because it's leading to your growth and your development. I take joy in that. That is not a common mindset. When you hear the word suffering, no one's like, okay, let's do a word association game. Suffering, joy. Like, we don't really do that. Paul's like, I, re I rejoice. I have joy in my sufferings for your sake. There is a purpose to his suffering. Again, parents or anyone, you might know this like, okay, this is hard to parent. This is hard to do fill in the blank. But I take joy because I know it's going to be for your sake, for your growth. 
you know, let's, let's just be honest. Um, it's so funny. If you've ever been on like a mission trip or done anything for Jesus and like, it, we're so, we're so, I don't know, funny in America in 2023. It's like, if I get sick on a mission trip, I'm like, I'm just suffering for Jesus. You know, like I get a hangnail and I'm like, oh, hangnail for Jesus suffering. It, it's like, we're so pathetic. Paul's like, if you read Paul's second Corinthians 11, Paul's like, I've been through shipwrecks. I've been beaten. I've been literally stoned to death by stones and I count it all joy. And yet this is, this is just life. It's worth it. It leads to your growth. I do want to say in many ways, like Paul's view of suffering is way different than our view of suffering. My view many times is how can I suffer the least in my life? Paul's like, how can I see the church grow? And if that's me suffering, so be it. This is so different. He's like, I just want to see spiritual growth. And if I'm suffering for spiritual growth, I'll take joy in that all day long. How many know that um, spiritual growth always comes with struggle, right? You know that, right? Like if you want to grow in any way in life, there's going to be a struggle. Like growth does not help it happen outside of struggle. Character development does not happen outside of struggle. I mean, I was thinking about this because like, you know, parents, you get this, but like Disney World, the happiest place on earth is literally the worst place on earth. I just, you know, when I bring my kids anywhere that's like supposed to be fun, it's just miserable. It's just weird because it's like, I do think there's something that happens when you go to a theme park with your kid and you're like, let's have fun today. And it's like, it's all about me. And it just becomes so like, you can have the best day ever. We've talked about this other parents. You have the best day ever, but one thing goes wrong. They go, this is the worst day of my life. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like you just didn't get like a cup of water at the end. You had everything you wanted the whole day. But it's funny, my, my point of just bringing this up is um, it, I don't think growth happens at Disneyland or Disney World world. Growth doesn't happen there, right? Growth happens at Calvary, meaning growth happens in those struggles. Growth usually happens, like character development happens in us and people we love, not usually when things are going well, but when things are incredibly difficult. If you want to grow, there will be a struggle. Paul's like, listen, I will struggle all day long. If you notice, he's using a lot of words. He's, he's like saying, I toil, I agonize. He's using different words like for your sake, chapter two, verse one. I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. He's not like uh, sadistic going, I just really love to enjoy suffering. Like he's not a weird guy like that. He's saying, I have a purpose in mind. It is literally for your growth. I'm suffering. He said, it's worth it. Listen, when you struggle, there's hopefully a purpose in mind. I want you to think through that. Just, if there's any struggle, it's because there's a purpose in mind. When God called Paul, who was once Saul, to be an ambassador for the kingdom. This is what it says in Acts chapter nine. We know this. Paul used to kill and persecute the church. God rad radically grabbed hold of his life. And God told um, Ananias this. God said this about Paul. Acts nine sixteen. He says, I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I'm gonna show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul goes, yeah, I'm suffering and it's worth it. It's worth it because it's leading to your growth. I would say this, um, church, please don't try to avoid suffering when it comes to the body of Christ. You might be asked to do things that are frustrating. You might be asked to do things that are hard. You lose some sleep. You lose something, time, energy, money. But please don't avoid that. Like, we you know that if there's gonna be growth, there's gonna be a struggle. Paul's like, I take joy in that. I don't care. I'll struggle all day long for your sake, for your growth. He says that in verse 24, for the sake of his body, that is the church. You hear that? For the sake of the body, that is, I'll struggle all day long. If it's for the sake of the body, the growth, of course, it's worth it. You have to have the end in mind. It's so important to have the end in mind in anything you do. And he goes, if it leads to your growth, if it's, it leads to the growth of the body, it's absolutely worth it. Let me put it this way. In 2 Timothy 3.12, 
Paul says it this way. He says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. How many of you have those little like promise boxes with the Bible verses? And it's like, his mercies are new every morning. You're not going to see this verse in there. Okay. <laughs> I love this. All of those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. There, there's going to be an element of that. And Paul's going, it's, it's, I, not only is it worth it, but I take joy in it, knowing that there is a purpose in this. I love what one uh, author, one pastor said, Tony Merida. Listen to this. He says, authentic ministry is characterized by those who are willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, for the church, and for the gospel proclamation. In our world, listen, in our world of indulged comfort, where we recoil at any thought of hardship or mistreatment, the concept of fulfilling our calling to suffer for Christ seems foreign. So why is that? We are, such, we are creatures of comfort. We are, we are Americans. We want to have new technology to limit our sense of discomfort. And we have to embrace this mindset. It's going to be uncomfortable being a follower of Jesus. It's going to be uncomfortable serving Jesus. It's going to be uncomfortable and difficult. And the hope is not like, come on, guys, please endure it. The hope is like, no, of course, with joy I will do this. If the gospel is being preached and proclaimed and Christians or saints are growing and being equipped, absolutely. If the, if the loss is being reached, yes, for your sake, I suffer and I take joy in that. Can we just admit that's not a common mindset? Come on. And they're like, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I love that. I'm, I'll suffer for anyone. But this is, like, this is so foreign to us. And I just love that Paul is saying, hey, church, this is my mindset in ministry. Listen, I'll be honest. I many times, probably monthly, need um, a mindset adjustment on ministry. Like over time, it's very easy. It's very easy to just believe the lies of the enemy. It's very easy to be tired and frustrated and upset and annoyed by certain things. This is not just like, this is me. I need constantly like an update on my ministry mindset. Paul's like, you know, ministry, joy. Suffering, joy. That's, that's what Jesus did. I follow in that example. And I want to look at the phrase that's very troubling to some, because um, this is, I know, been a phrase that has frustrated some, but look at this in verse 24. He says, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. The reason why I want you to like see this, people have read this verse and go, wait, wait, Christ's afflictions were lacking Maybe you read that and thought that Christ's afflictions were lacking. So Paul feels some sort of need to step up because Christ's afflictions were lacking. What is he really saying here? Here's the simple idea. Matthew 24, John 15, 16, Jesus made it really clear. Listen, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. Matthew 24 makes it really clear. In the end of time, there's going to be more persecutions. It will increase. Paul's basically saying, just like Jesus suffered, I participate in this suffering. Um, I love how one author, just hopefully this gets more clear, one author said it this way, Paul is saying, as Jesus suffered for others, so he suffers for others, and his suffering is on behalf of the body, the church. Another way to put this, I love how Chuck Swindoll said this. He's basically saying, think about this from the end time, like kind of like as things come closer and closer to Jesus' return. He's going, no, persecution should increase. There's a sense of like suffering that's going to be poured out. Chuck Swindoll says, Paul is in a sense filling up the fixed amount of suffering that the church must endure until the second coming of Christ and the end of all persecution and suffering. So almost like if there's like this pie chart on suffering, Paul's like, give me the biggest piece of the pie. If there's going to be suffering at the end of time, I want to, I'm going to suffer. I have no problem in this. It's not speaking of salvific suffering, Paul's suffering so we can be saved. He's saying, no, no, Jesus suffered. I get to suffer with him for the sake of the body of Christ. It's so worth it. So I just want to kind of bring clarity to that. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Listen, um, 
ministry, ministry mindset, this phrase, to make the word of God fully known. My primary job, I think our primary job is to say, how do we make the word of God fully known? How do we not shy away from the tough passages? How do we say, no, no, we're going to actually walk into some of the Levitical passages that people love to throw out there. I think my point is, um, I'm not ashamed of any passage in the scriptures. I'm not ashamed of one passage. I'm not going to lie that it's easy. There's some passage I go, ooh, Lord, help me understand that. This one's difficult for me. But when you actually spend time meditating and embracing and taking that on, you're like, I actually love this. Thank you for your heart, God, to want to protect me or us in this way with this difficult passage. My hope and point to you is I would love for us as the church to say, you know what? I want to know the word of God fully, and I want to make the word of God fully known. Our big reason why we don't like spend a lot of time, I have no problem with topical messages, but the reason why we don't spend so much time on that is like there's certain passages of the Bible, if I'm teaching through it, you know, like, ooh, how's just I going to teach this one this week? It's like, okay, I want to go through that. I want to talk about that. I want to dive into that. I love teaching through books of the Bible because it forces you to deal with things that maybe we wouldn't by choice always deal with. And so we're like, yeah, we want the word of God to be fully known, so let's do it. There's no shame in that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. Why would I be ashamed of that? Jesus was not hanging on the cross ashamed of me. He was hanging on the cross for me. So we can't be ashamed of like, okay, we're going to make this fully known. So Paul's saying, hey, here's my mindset. I take joy in suffering. And I get to participate in that. And I want to make the word of God fully known. And by the word of God being fully known, this leads to number two when it comes to ministry. Paul's saying a big part of our ministry is making the mysteries of God revealed. So number two is this, mystery and Jesus. If you see this in the New Testament, I, I hope this interests you. I hope you've seen this before. Like, what is the mystery? Let's read it. Verse 26, the mystery. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, we got to break this down. This is so good. The word mystery, when it's used in the New Testament, it's used in Galatians, Ephesians, it's used here. When you see the word mystery, what is the mystery? Sometimes, Paul, by the way, remember this, remember the context? He's kind of mocking or making fun of like the Gnostics. The Gnostics who say, remember the Gnostics, they had this belief system of, we have some secret knowledge. You want it? Come follow us. We have the mysteries of the world with us. There's some things found in Jesus, but we have deeper knowledge. And Paul's playing off that and going, no, no, the mystery of this deeper knowledge is not, it's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So here's what Paul's saying. The word mystery means this, that which was once hidden, but is now revealed. It's not mystery like, I don't know, is this, could we ever know? Sometimes I'll come across Christians, it's like, well, I guess we'll never know what God thinks about. I'm like, I don't know. I think he does speak into it. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we have passages in the Bible where like, I don't know, you say this, this person says that, I guess we'll never know. No. The word mystery means that which is once hidden, but is now fully revealed. So here's the idea of, of the mystery. This mystery that was hidden but is now revealed, a couple of just key thoughts. Um, Paul actually says this in Ephesians 3, verse 6. We'll put the verse up here. So what is the mystery? Let me just make this as clear as I possibly can. Can. Ephesians 3, 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You have to understand from a Jewish perspective, there would be a Jewish Messiah who would come and bring the kingdom. When Jesus came, it was very confusing, I believe, to like the Jewish religious institutions because Jesus didn't do what they thought he would do. Jesus, you must be here to overthrow Rome and bring in the kingdom. Jesus didn't go about it or do exactly what they thought he would do. Isaiah kind of gives us glimpses into this, but the point is Jesus is not just a savior to the Jews. He's a savior to the world. 
The idea for the Gentiles, us, anyone who's not Jewish by blood, by birth, the idea is God is not saying, hey, now you become Jewish. God is actually saying, now, hey, become participators of the kingdom. That God is doing a whole new thing. God is doing a whole new thing. That's why Paul in Galatians says there's neither Jew nor Greek. This idea that, no, we are all one in Christ. It's very bizarre to think that. They're like, wait, the Messiah is going to come and establish the kingdom. But what did he do? The Messiah came and died. And so the mystery is kind of confusing to them. Like, what, G, the Messiah didn't do what we wanted him to do. So here's the idea, church. Um, right now, you and I, whatever your uh, ethnicity is, background is, you're all one in Christ Jesus. I, I love how God sees us. It's not, it's, he's not Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. He's going, no, no, you're one in Christ Jesus. God is doing something completely new. It's the church. It's this ecclesia. It's this called out assembly coming together. And God has done something completely new. The mystery is, it's not, okay, Gentiles, now go get circumcised, become Jewish. The mystery is, no, no, you're now part of the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus. And the, the fascinating thing about that is it's not exactly how they thought it would be done. So I love what John MacArthur says. John MacArthur says, the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah, but it did not reveal that he would actually live in his redeemed church made up mostly of Gentiles. So if you're still confused, let me explain. What is the mystery that has been revealed? We'll put up these three things. The mystery is this, the mystery of the church, that God is making something completely new. What's this mystery? The mystery of the indwelling of Christ he says that's so clear. The mystery is Christ in you. And then he says, and it's of the person of Christ, the fullness of God. That everything we need is found in Jesus. Everything we need is found in the Messiah. To the Jews, they did not think the Messiah would be the Son of God, eternal, coexistent with the Father. So the mystery of the Messiah blew them away. Wait a second, the church were one? It's not Jews. Remember, think about the temple. You have the Jewish quarters, the Gentile quarters. No, we're just brought together. That now the Messiah lives in us. So let me slow this down. The book of Colossians is filled, by the way, if you want to do a study on this, it's kind of maybe boring, but maybe exciting for some of you. It's filled with different prepositions, right? And it's, here's the idea. He's saying Christ in you, you in Christ. Um, you're the hope of glory. He's talking about all these different ideas of we are in Christ and Christ is in us. The mystery is this. It's unbelievable to think the Messiah did not just come physically. He did. He came physically, but now he lives and dwells in us. Jesus, the Messiah, the Mashiach, dwells in you, Paul says. In Ephesians 3.20, he put it that way, or 3.17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is the mystery? The mystery is Christ in you. What is the mystery? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. What is the mystery? Church, this is the mystery. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? The Messiah came and dwelt in a body, walked among us. God of the universe came physically and dwelt in a body, now dwells in you. This is one of those things. If you think that's difficult to understand, understand the Jews' perspective. It's very difficult for them. The mystery is that the Mashiach is in us, Christ in us, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the mystery that was hidden to the Jew, that in their literature, in the Jewish writings. They don't read it and think that one day, no one ever read that and thought, one day the Christ will live in us. But that is what the mystery is. The mystery that's once hidden, but now is revealed is Christ in you. So if you think I'm belaboring the point, I want to really emphasize this. 
Because maybe you're like, I've seen that phrase, the mystery in Ephesians and the church, and what is this? It is a beautiful promise that Jesus lives in you. So what does that mean? It actually means quite a bit. But think about this. It's not so much like, hey, church, you know, please try to start being like Jesus. Sort of, not really. It's not be like Jesus. It's not imitation. It's impartation. Christ in you. Please hear that again. It's not limited to imitation. Be like Jesus. It's actually impartation, Jesus in you. There's a big difference between trying to be like someone and saying, no, that someone lives and dwells in me. That's why Paul in Romans talks about this idea of like you have this old fleshly nature and this new nature. You have like this, this old mindset and a new mindset. You, you have the battle of the flesh and the spirit and Christ in you. You know, um, I'm trying to find a way to, to explain this, but when I was a kid, uh, we had something called DVDs. You guys remember DVDs? They're great. They're great. Um, we, I had, it's called Jordan to the Max, all right? <laughs> no one probably knows what this is. It was like six or eight DVDs of like Michael Jordan highlights. It was the best. I basically had it on just repeat. Now we have YouTube, but we didn't have that. And so I remember like 10, 11 years old in my living room, and I remember like we first got a DVD player, from, so graduated from VHS, DVD, that's another big deal. And I put in the DVDs, and I remember just watching like Jordan's top 10 high, uh, layups, top 10 dunks, top 10 assists, all these things. And, you know, in my little Josiah nature, would just try to imitate that. So I would get a ball and just bang through the you know, living room and jump and try to freeze in the air for like literally not even a second. I, I couldn't do what he did, obviously, but I tried to imitate, right? There's a difference between like imitation and this, you know, my son loves Space Jam now. And it's so funny to him to, to like watch the movies that I liked as a kid, but he loves Space Jam. And it's like, you know, you see like the, remember their powers getting stolen and it's like now they become that power. Okay, whatever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get this but just bear with me. The idea was this. Um, I love the idea. What, I can imitate Michael Jordan all day long, but if his powers come in me, right? If it's Jordan in me and I can hang time actually, you know, and like white men now can jump, that'd be amazing. Um, if you think about that, there's a difference between me imitating and that the, the, you know, Space Jam version of coming in me and now I can do exactly what he can do. Here's the thought. Christians really do hear this. Don't just try to imitate Jesus. There's a part of this of like accessing the, like, in, the, the fact that Jesus lives in you, that there is Josiah Graves, my flesh, but there's also just Jesus Christ in Josiah Graves, the hope of glory. There's also this idea of if you feel like you ever can, I can never overcome sin, Josiah. I've tried and tried and tried and tried. Exactly, you've tried. There's something about Jesus Christ in you. There's something about saying, I'm going to starve my flesh and feed my spirit. I'm going to be alive to Christ in me. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. The reason why I think this is so important, that phrase... A Christ in you, the hope of glory. Maybe you've heard that phrase. I don't know if you spent time thinking of that. Christ in you. Jesus who dwells in your hearts through faith. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. There is this idea in the New Testament of it. It's not just go ahead and try. It's that Jesus lives in you and access. Give him place. Say, this is my body. Lord, take it. It's yours. It's Romans 6. It's Romans 12. It's the idea of I'm, a, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ, as Romans 6 describes. I know there's a difference between me talking about this and you actually seeking the Lord on this and saying, Lord, you promise. Sometimes can I tell you what prayer is half the time? Lord, your word says this. Do it. <laughs> Lord, your word says this. I believe you, but it helped my unbelief. Lord, your word says this. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm actually asking, Lord, I need help and victory over this sin, over this area of my life. I want to actually walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have for me. Okay. 
God, I present my members to you as a living sacrifice. I would say actually do what scripture describes and watch what God does. Watch God be faithful to that. I feel like the first time I ever had victory over certain self-destructive patterns and habits is when I said, Lord, I'm really surrendering over me trying and just you living in me. I'm going to starve my flesh. I'm going to feed my spirit. There's something about Christ in you. Listen to the next phrase, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. It's not like, by the way, just like your glory, that you would be glory. It's not that. But the hope of glory, this is communicating this idea of the hope of, of heaven. The hope of glory the hope of what was lost in the garden. Because um, the Hebrew word for glory is primarily the word kabod. Maybe you've seen that, like a kabod temple. Kabod, it means, it means glory. I'm going to say kabod. It's fun. Shish kabob. No, not that. Kabod. Kabod just means glory. It means weighty. It means heaviness. I want you to understand this. Please bear with me in this thought. The hope of glory. The idea is this. Whenever someone encountered God or his glory, what happened? Their life was radically changed. No one ever encountered God and said the same. Isaiah sees God lifting in the temple and he says what? Woe is me for I'm undone. The idea is this. Imagine water. You have water here. It's steady. It's not moving. It's on this table. It's just water. But imagine I drop in a weight that has more glory. It's, it's weightier into the water. What happens? The water's disturbed. Everything overflows. Why? Because greater glory or weight affected the water that was there. This idea of God's glory, it affects everything about you and me. So I want you to think about this idea. In the garden, we once, in Genesis, you read about it, it's like, man, we once walked and talked with God. An idea of like being naked, it's like we are clothed by the glory of God. We had this unique relationship to God where God's glory just, it changed everything. But when man sinned and we sinned against God, rebelled against God, in a sense that glory departed, the Ichabod, the, the glory's gone, it's gone. And so here's the idea. Ever since then, we've been trying to get back to the garden. If you want to understand the Bible, it's kind of like the story of two gardens, Genesis and then Revelation 21 and 22. It's what we lost in the garden of Eden is found in the garden of heaven. And this garden of heaven's idea of like, no, just like we once walked and talked with God in the garden and the glory departed, we will be in heaven with him and we will have that glory, that kabod with God, that hope of glory, the hope of being with him. The hope that of, of things that were lost in the garden is found in Jesus. The idea of us saying, oh, we lost the glory. Let's get some fig, fig leaves, tie them together and cover up our nakedness and shame. Let us try to do it ourselves. Let us try to work for it and feel good about ourselves. And he said, no, the, the glory that was lost is found in Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's that bridge between what was lost and what's going to be in heaven one day. The hope of glory is Christ in you. The hope of eternal life is Christ in you. And Paul says, this is the mystery. The mystery that was hidden from all of the ages is Christ in you. The Messiah, we knew he'd come, but we had no idea he would live in us. Is this making sense? The Jews knew the Messiah would come. But the mystery is now he didn't just come, he now lives and dwells in you. This is the hope of glory, that you are not alone. That you don't have to try to do it yourself. That you have the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you. You have the Messiah who dwells your hearts through faith, Ephesians 3, 17. So this idea of don't just try to imitate, try to just say, I want to access Jesus. You, like, take it, my life, my body is yours. I surrender it to you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So when you see someone, it's like, man, Maybe you've, you've met someone, you're like, man, what is, why are you so different? Or I see this thing in you. And it's like, no, no, it's Jesus in me. Josiah Graves is awful. Jesus in me is amazing. <laughs> Jesus in me is far better. So it's like, I, Jesus in you, the hope of glory. This is what we boast in. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of being with him, the hope of having that restored relationship of what was lost in the garden is found in Jesus. 
This is the hope of glory. So Paul's like, hey, um, I'm here to minister and minister the mysteries of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope this is connecting and making sense. And then he says, it's not just for the sake of knowledge, but it's for the sake of maturity. So that brings us to number three, our last point. He's saying, and that's maturity in Jesus. It's to lead you to maturity. Please, if you think church is about learning new stuff or just getting new information, you're, you're missing the point. There needs to be growth and maturity. So number three is this, maturity. Let's read actually verse uh, 28 now. So verse 28, we'll keep going. And here's how he ends. He says, him, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, Christ in you, all his energy, that he, that he powerfully works within me. All right, so uh, now we have maturity in Jesus. Uh, I want to focus on this phrase because this is so good. He's like, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he says this, him we proclaim. What are we here to proclaim? The exchange church, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's like, the power lies in the cross. You know, I'm not coming to, with eloquent speech, but with, with wisdom and power that is the person of Jesus, the, the preaching or heralding of Jesus Christ, him crucified, resurrected, and glorified. So here's the idea. We preach Jesus. Can I be honest with you guys? Like, it's very easy. I, there's so many different um, convictions I have on different topics. I want to filter all that through the word of God. I want to primarily preach Jesus Christ. I want to say, Jesus, if, you, if we can just actually elevate the person of Jesus, him we proclaim, I think the rest of those issues that we get hung up on will be now through the lens of Jesus. And I think I will radically change my perception, change your perception on some minor things and just brought under the weight and authority of Jesus. Like, all right, Jesus, it doesn't really matter what Josiah thinks or what you think. What do you think? What do you say, Jesus? What's your perception? So here's the idea. Um, we could preach a lot of different things. We could do a lot of different topical things. Him we proclaim. I absolutely love this. Him we proclaim. Our message is Jesus. That's the greatest message. That is the message the enemy wants us to avoid. Jesus has become a curse word for many people because Jesus is offensive. We're saying, no, no, but Jesus is the message we must preach. There's power in the name of Jesus. Him we proclaim. I love what George Whitfield said one time to him. He said this, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. I love that. There might be other people out there who can preach better than I can, but no one can preach a better gospel. We have it. Him we proclaim. The idea is this. Um, there's a lot of things you and I could talk about. D.A. Carson said this. I'm gonna let him say it. Please listen to this. Him we proclaim. Think about this. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Him we proclaim. There's so many other things we could proclaim, but no, we're not. Jesus Christ, I'm crucified. There's power in Jesus. Know the person of Jesus. Paul's saying this, don't, please don't assume don't assume that spiritual growth means you graduate from Jesus. Yes, I've read the Gospels. Yes, I know Jesus. You never graduate the person. If there's going to be maturity in your life, it's going to be because Jesus is at the center point of your life. No one ever grows outside of the person of Jesus. So Paul says this, our goal is maturity. He made that really clear, verse 28, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the goal. Hey, church, what's the goal? How do, how do we present everyone mature in Christ? Him we proclaim. We want people to be mature, mature in Christ. Remember those prepositions. Mature in Christ. Christ in you. 
him we proclaim. Maturity will never come outside of that. We can give you five ways to have a better, we could do that. But we got to focus on Jesus through the process. Him we proclaim. This leads to maturity. This leads to growth. This is what he's saying here. Dallas Willard said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what will take you into eternity. We want to present you mature in Christ. It's not what you do, it's who you become. So a big part of our goal is like, oh, gosh, I'm going to preach Jesus. Any passage, any, anything we're going through, the person of Jesus, we want to be mature in Christ. He says, this is the goal. So Paul said in verse 29, for this I toil, I'm struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Like this takes work. So what is Paul struggling? What is he, what's he toiling in? Chapter two, verse two, I, this is how we're gonna kind of close out this time. And this is what he says. He says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first phrase, I don't want to pass over it quickly. He says that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love. Paul's like, here's what maturity looks like. I want you to be encouraged and knit together in love. The Exchange Church, when you look around, my hope is that if you are a follower of Jesus and the person next to you is a follower of Jesus, you have way more in common than you don't have in common. You have way more in common. He's like, I don't care how old you are, young you are, um, your race. If you have your faith in Jesus, do you understand this? We are joined and knit together in love. And we're going to fight for love. Maturity is equal to love. He's saying, as you grow and mature, there will be a sense of God knitting your hearts together in love. Where we can disagree on really big issues and topics, but we say, you know what? I know you love Jesus and trust in Jesus, and I love Jesus and trust in Jesus. And even if we don't agree right now on this, I trust that what we have in common is so much greater, that we have Jesus Christ in you and in me. I remember being like a young 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, where you just kind of get caught up in theological arguments and debates. And I remember it's like, it's so weird. I get so angry at someone. And then my thoughts like, wait a second, is Jesus in me? And is Jesus in them? Why do I like hate them right now? <laughs> like, you're like, why do I have such a, so much, like, oh, I'm so frustrated at them. And it's like, I was missing the bigger, like Jesus is in them. Jesus is in me. What are we doing? Why are we be the church at, at odds with each other over minor things? Maturity is this our hearts are being encouraged and knit together in love. He's like, that's what I want. Church, I would love to see our, our maturity be a maturity in love. We can disagree in maturity. We can say, I don't agree with that, but I love you. Of course I love you. Christ is in you. Christ is in me. How could we be at odds with each other? That makes no sense. This is what he's describing. Next, just so, the next phrase, he says this, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Listen, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, what's the mystery? Christ, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so again, let's just take his perspective. Hey, Gnostics, you say you have a deeper knowledge. You say you have this mystery. And if people want to know what you really have, have you ever like, there's certain cults out there that are like that, like, well, if you really want to know, just give us more money and we'll tell you our mysteries. Like, and it's, he says, no, no, all of the mysteries are in Christ and there's a deeper and richer knowledge in Christ. Everything you're looking for is in Jesus. So again, the idea is you don't graduate the gospel of Jesus. Like, okay, I believed on Jesus, I'm saved and now I'm gonna move on to deeper things. The deep, what? Everything is hidden, he says, in Christ. This full knowledge that the Gnostics boast about of having. Everything you're looking for is in Christ. 
That's why we're kind of saying, like, just stop and explore everything we have in Christ. The New Testament is basically saying Christ is in you, and everything you need is in Christ. So just, like, spend time with the person of Jesus. Focus on the person of Jesus. Seek the person of Jesus. Everything, he says, is hidden in Christ. Alexander McLaren, an old famous preacher, said this, In Christ, as in a great storehouse, lie all the riches of spiritual wisdom, the massive ingots of solid gold, which when coined into creeds and doctrines are the wealth of the church, all which we can know concerning God and man, concerning sin and righteousness and duty, concerning another life is in him, who is the home and deep mind where truth is stored, the central fact of the universe and the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth is Christ, the incarnate word, the lamb slain, the ascended king. It's all in Christ. So don't think you graduate. I love how C.S. Lewis said this. He says, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. The inside is larger. So in Christ, it's that that Chronicles of Narnia, it's entering in through the wardrobe. In him are just the, everything you need. It's much more vast than you realize. It's much more deep than you realize. The exchange, um, my, my hope is not just to study Colossians and not just to learn something new. My hope is to say, Jesus, mature us. Mature us. Join, make us grow in love. Knit our hearts together. Help me to explore the person of Jesus and everything I need for life and godliness is found in him. You're like, I have issues with relationships. The answer is in Jesus. I have issues with finances, the, issues with the, the answers in Jesus. I have issues with fill in the blank. Seek the person of Jesus. I love that Jesus speaks into marriage. I love that Jesus speaks into money. I love that Jesus speaks into the issues of our life and day, of sin, sexuality, pervert. He speaks into, what are the issues? What are the thoughts? What are the frustrations you have? It's, it's, it's found in Jesus. He's like, everything you need is found in Jesus. We don't graduate the person of Jesus. You'll see why this makes so much sense next week as he starts calling out different issues and worldviews, he goes, don't graduate Jesus. Don't think you hit a point in your life where like, no, 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 no. Jesus was that thing I needed when I was 5, 15, 20, but I'm past that. Everything you need is found in Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, but I want to end with this um, a little longer response from C.S. Lewis, this little girl. This little girl wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis, and I just want to read his response, and then we're just going to jump into worship. Can we do that? Okay, so we'll put the quote up here. It's probably very long. Here it is. This little girl wrote C.S. Lewis, and and C.S. Lewis wrote her back. This is one of the last things he wrote that we have, actually, before he died. He says, Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter. And it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a very good letter you write for your age. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope you may always do so. What you think of Christ, your conception of him is everything. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is eternal, without beginning and without end, that he always was continuing, if you believe that he is the creator of everything, every cosmic speck across trillions of light years of trackless space, the creator of the texture and shapes and colors which daily dazzle your eyes, If you believe that he is the sustainer of all creation, the force which is presently holding the atoms of your body, your town, this universe together, and that without him, all would dissolve. If you believe that he is the mystery, 
the incarnate reconciler who will one day reconcile the universe and redeem humanity to himself. If you believe that he is the lover of your soul who loves you with a love bounded only by his infinitude, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, nothing much will go wrong. Your vision of Christ will quicken and shape your life. What you believe about Christ makes all the difference in the world now and in eternity. And all those who agree, say amen. Jesus, we just want to thank you for you. In you is everything we need. In you are the mysteries of God, that you are a God who wants to make us one, one under your son, Jesus. That something that once divided us, Jews, Gentiles, our take on different things, that we have this unity of family found in you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the promise that you live and dwell in us, that you are the hope of glory. (laughs) And so, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that everything we need is found in you. And Lord, I just want to ask that you would just be speaking and moving, that we'd not try to graduate or leave you, Jesus, not think this is for someone else, that we would mature in our love, that we'd be joined in it together. Lord, I just want to thank you for everyone in this place, in this room. God, if, if, if they go, I, yeah, but I've tried. Yeah, but I've tried. Lord, I just ask that they would rest in you. Come to you, Jesus, all of those who are weary and heavy laden, and that you would give them rest, that they would find comfort, that they would, that the needs of their soul would be met in you, Jesus. Lord, I just ask that the distractions, the lies of the enemy, the things that can take away that, that you'd remove that, that even now in this time of response, that we would just enjoy you, that we would just seek first you and your kingdom, Lord, I just want to thank you that everything we need is found in your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we just want to praise you now in your precious name. Hey, church, why don't you stand? And we are going to worship. And if you would like prayer, we would love to pray with you after service. We'll have some leaders at the end. We'd say, you can know this Jesus. He will dwell in your hearts through faith. It does take faith. We would love to pray with you. We'd love for you to come to know him. But um, church, why don't we just end our time by just thinking about, remembering, celebrating the person of Jesus. Let's just do that now.